Welcome back to the DSO Decision. This is episode two. We're talking about offers that you might get from a DSO, what those offers look like. And, and I'm joined by my co-host today, David Cohen. David, say hello. How's everybody doing? I'm excited. This episode, um, I think is we're going to try to pull back the curtain a little bit on what actually happens <laughs> when the DSO comes and knocks on the door and how do they knock on the door and everything. So David, I'm excited because uh, you've got a lot of experience here in conversations um, with dentists. I've got some as well uh, to, to be able to really explain to people what to expect, some intelligent questions to ask early on in the process and um, you know how they can gather as much information as quickly as possible to decide whether or not this is a good decision for them. So um, we're going to talk about four things on this episode uh, with a possible fifth, if we can fit it in. Uh, first, I want to talk about how these offers come in. What do the first meetings look like? What do offers actually look like? Um, and then we're going to spend the bulk of the time, David, talking about what are the elements of a DSO offer. Now, the temptation for both you and I, when we get to this point, will be to start um, offering advice on some of these elements. But here in this section, we're just going to name the elements because frankly, the rest of these 20 episodes are all about the elements of a DSO offer. And so we'll get into the, the details here. Um, we'll talk about how long you have to, to, to respond to an offer. Uh, are you expected to negotiate? Are counter offers expected? Like what's going on there? We'll talk about the team you need to have around you when you're deciding on whether or not to sell to a DSO, who's helpful, maybe who isn't. And then every dentist asks, like, how binding is this really? Like, do I, if I sign this piece of paper, am I stuck forever? Like, how does that look? Uh, so uh, with that in mind, uh, David, are you ready for uh, talking about offers? Ready to go. Okay. What's the typical story you hear from a dentist on like how they got first approached by a DSO? Are they, are they getting mailers? Uh, is someone like literally walking into the office and knocking on the, the dentist? <laughs> like, how does this typically go logistically? Yeah, I don't know that I've heard of anybody just getting like knocked on the door in the office, but I've, I've definitely seen mailers um, that, that um, have been sent to doctors. And then I've also seen a lot of doctors get approached at conferences in the exhibit areas where a lot of these DSOs hang out. Um, also, a, a huge funnel for these DSOs to present offers is through brokers. Um, there are a lot of brokers out there, some of which are specific to DSO deals. And I think those those brokers field a lot of offers and they sort of like weed out the ones that aren't a good fit for the doctor, but then like present them with the ones that are the best fit or, or they quite possibly provide all the offers to them, but then kind of advise on what might be the best fit of those offers. But either way, it kind of comes down the funnel from brokers a lot of the time as well. I'm, I'm picturing, uh, I'm one, what I'm wondering is how are those brokers getting in touch with all these practices? Are the brokers knocking on doors or are, are dentists coming to the brokers saying, hey, please value my practice. And by the way, how much can I get for my, my dental practice if I sell to a DSO? In other words, wh which way is more common? Are the dentists approaching brokers and DSOs or are the DSOs and brokers approaching the dentists? I think it's a little bit of both, um, you know, from what I see personally. Um, what I see is oftentimes the, the dentist will, will come to the broker and say, you know, I'm looking to sell my practice. Can you help me? And then the broker will kind of look at their practice and see what type of sale would be a best fit for them and make a recommendation. And then if the doctor does decide that a DSO is going to be a good fit, then 
the broker will go out and field offers for that doctor uh, and then present them to them. Um, it also happens in the opposite way as well, where the brokers sort of do their normal thing of just marketing themselves and networking and finding people who are wanting to sell their practices. And, um, and they already have relationships with DSOs and they understand what they're looking for. And so immediately when they meet a doctor, they can say to themselves, okay, well, this doctor has X type of practice. And we know that, you know, this DSO uh, is really, this is right up their alley. So I think this would be a great opportunity to connect them. So I think it kind of goes in both directions from a broker standpoint. One pitch I've seen a lot of brokers make is, um, you know, estate or just kind of emergency planning. Like, hey, David, it's good business practice for you on a regular basis to value your law firm. You know, you never know when you might die. You never know if, if a divorce were to come along or it's good to, if you're redoing your will or something, just to know how much your, your business is worth. Um, let us come in. We'll do a valuation for, you know, a thousand bucks or for free sometimes, right? And that's how the conversation will often start from a broker's end, at least from what I've seen. And by the way, there, there's some truth to that. And that's not a necessarily insidious thing to do unless your goal as the broker isn't really to help them with estate planning. It's actually to try to collect a bunch of names to send to a DSO, in which case, you know, I kind of have a problem with that. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I mean, you have to be careful, too. I mean, there are some brokers out there that will, you know, almost like sell like astronomical values that they... <laughs> that they tell the doctor they can sell for just to sort of like wrap them in and then it ends up not being the case. And so I think it's really important as a doctor to go with a rec reputable broker that is really going to tell you the way that it is because A, they're successful and they've gotten successful being honest with people and B, it's a waste of their time to sort of like bring you yeah. into something where they can't deliver. So I would, you know, obviously there's some good ones out there. So I, I think it's important, just like anything. I mean, you know, anything you do, there's going to be people that are, are really great at it. And I would look for those. So the, the first version of that conversation, I would imagine is, hey, David, your dental practice collects a million dollars. Congratulations. You're a very successful dentist. A private buyer is going to pay you, you know, let's, I cringe a little bit when I do this, but let's just say it's 85% of collections. So their private buyer could pay you 850. If you go the DSO route, David, Man, the last one I sold was $3.1 million for practice this size. Are you interested in learning more? Right. And that <laughs> when it's right. when it's um, framed that way, it's like, man, you would be the biggest idiot on the planet not to say yes, right? 850, 850,000 versus 3.1 million is a no-brainer right. conversation, right? So what okay, that's how it's initially framed in a lot of cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases. What's actually included then in the DSO offer? And um as we go through some of these elements, give me kind of the name, what I might see on the document, and uh, and then just give me like a, a brief summary or a description of what that thing is, because we're going to talk about all of these. Yeah, so uh, the DSO is typically going to give a doctor uh, what, what they call an enterprise value, which is a value for the entire enterprise, the entire practice, right? Is that the same as a valuation? Um, it is the same as a valuation, but it's going to be their valuation, which typically is going to be based on multiples of EBITDA. And okay. so that's going to be the total enterprise value. And so then, but then you've got elements of, okay, well, how much of that value is going to be paid in this deal? Well, if the doctor is doing a, a joint venture deal where they're going to retain 30% of the practice, then obviously 
they're only going to be, you know, getting 70% of the enterprise value. And Got so um, then after you see what the enterprise value is, you're going to see what the actual purchase price is for the deal, which in the example that I just gave would be based on 70% and not 100. 70, 70% of 3.1 million. Okay. Right. So my number just got smaller, but that's fine because I'm keeping 30%. Keep going. Okay. Right. And then what's going to happen is the DSO is going to break down how that money is going to be paid. And the first thing that they're going to do is, is probably have what they call a holdback. And a holdback is money that the DSO is going to typically keep that you've earned, but they're keeping it for liability purposes. If there's any outstanding liabilities with the practice, the DSO wants to know that they can just draw the money and pay them and not have to like go to the doctor to write a check because oftentimes paying off those creditors could be sort of like life and death as to whether or not the mm. practice continues to run because some of okay. the creditors could be people that run the practice. So, so I've got cash up front. They're going to give me an amount in cash. Correct. There's going to be some of my, let me think, I'm going to do the math real fast. 70% of 3.1 is like 2.2. Okay. Right. Give or take. A little bit less than 2.2. So I'm not going to get a check for $2.2 million. The The DSO is going to keep some of that. It, by the way, if, if the offer really was 2.2 in cash and there was a holdback, like what's a typical holdback amount? Is yeah, it right. stuck in like 1%, 10%? It's going to depend on the size of the deal. Um, mm -hmm. Typically, if the deal is a, is a larger deal, um, like I would, you know, I would say larger than 10, 15, 20 million, uh, then the holdback is oftentimes a bit smaller, probably yeah. 5%, 7%, something like okay. that. In, in a, most deals, I would say it's a 10% um, holdback. Okay. And so, so now you've got 10% of that money held back of the 2.2. Got it. Yeah. And, and there's more to it than just uh, cash and a hold back. What else is included? Yeah. So in many DSO deals, there's also what they call an earnout, which is okay. money that they still need to earn that they haven't achieved yet. The hold back money, they've already achieved it. It's just being held back for liability purposes and just in case and usually for about a year. With an mm -hmm. earnout, that's money that they're saying it was part of the enterprise value, but you haven't earned it yet. Here's mm -hmm. what you need to do to earn it. And typically there'll be production goals for the practice mm -hmm. um, in order to earn a, a, you know, another sum of the money. And we're seeing in the earn out, you know, oftentimes I would say anywhere between, you know, 10 to 20% of the, mm -hmm. wow. of the prices to be earned out. Interesting. So yeah, I'm offering you 2.2, but I'm going to keep some of it for a holdout. Uh, hold back, excuse me. And then I'm going to make you earn part of like 10 ish percent, 15% of my offer of 2.2 million. And in order to meet that, uh, you know, okay, David, last year you did 600 in production. This year you got to do 650 or this year you got to do 660 or some, some amount, um, to, in order to earn the rest of my offer. Okay. Interesting. So that's an earn out. Uh, what else is in the offer? So what else might be in the offer as well is going to be stock equity, yeah. right? And so what the DSO is going to then do is they're going to carve out certain money that's going to be allocated toward equity. And usually these DSOs don't, don't typically allow the doctor to take less than 20% in, uh, in equity. They usually mandate that at least 20% is retained in equity because they want the doctor to have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So in this example that we just are referencing, 30% was required. 
So as part of that enterprise value, that 30% is obviously going to be an, um, going to be, Oh, I apologize. We talked about only a JV deal or only 70, it was 70, 30. So no, in this case, they still would get equity probably. And that, and then that would cut into the 70%. Interesting. Okay. And the stock is in the DSO. This isn't like a mutual fund of like Apple and Microsoft stock. You're talking about stock in the corporation, this, this DSO's corporation. Yeah. To be clear. So like, let's say they're going to retain 30% equity in the location. Yep. Then that's that 70, 30 that we just spoke of, but then they also might be offered equity sort of in the, in the, in the main sort of vehicle of the DSO. So like mm -hmm. the 70, 30 that we're just referencing is 70, 30 for like their location, their practice. Mm -hmm. Right. But Got then it. there's sort of a bigger piece of the pie, which they also might get equity in, which is, you know, if blank DSO is not only offering them equity in their practice, but they're also offering them equity in the whole DSO and, and you know, a piece of all the pie and all the practices. So that also could be, uh, you know, included in the, in the deal as well. Got it. Okay. So I've got cash, hold back, earn out. Um, I've got stock. Anything else uh, pretty common to see in an offer? You know, more and more now we're starting to see like AR holdbacks where mm -hmm. um, accounts, AR being accounts receivable. Just yeah, so check. Yep. Well, yeah, accounts receivable yeah, yeah. where like they'll hold back certain monies um, just to reconcile the accounts receivable. So they have the money handy and, and they kind of like make their best guesstimate of what that the AR is going to be. Mm -hmm. And then if it varies from that, they're going to then do a reconciliation typically within mm. 60 days or so. And, you know, again, that's money the doctors earned, but they just are going to have to hold it back to reconcile it. That okay. I, I did not see that very often at all in the past, like ever. And it's now popping up more and more, uh, more recently. Yeah. Um, it, I can't imagine that's a gigantic number. We can get into the specifics on that. Okay. Um, what about, you mentioned DSOs keeping the doctor around to work. Is that part of the offer? Will they tell me how long they want me to keep working in the office? Um, yeah, I mean, that's not going to necessarily like deduct from the enterprise value, but, sure. but yes, they're going to definitely talk to the doctor about how yeah. long that they expect them to work. And that will be in the letter of intent as well. I may have pulled you off then. Is there anything else that chops up enterprise value? I don't want to take you away from that. No, I think those are the main elements. You've got yeah. the holdback, you've got the earnout, you've got any stock that you are retaining in your location, which we talked about with the 30 and then we've got, you know, any stock that you might get in the larger enterprise, like the DSO itself. And then the AR holdback from time to time is now is now held back. And then there's actually one other thing which I'm starting to see pop up, which we didn't in the past. And that's an accounts payable holdback. Mm. You might ask, well, I thought that the holdback was for liabilities. Why do we also need an accounts payable holdback? And the answer is, I don't know either. And we always try to fight that <laughs> in the letter of intent. Um, but, um, but yeah, for accounts payable now, DSOs are starting to hold some money back for that. Fair enough. That's yeah. kind of the comprehensive list. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I've seen a few deals where the, the seller, oops, I forgot to pay that shine bill for the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, the shine rep comes knocking on the door looking for a check. So, okay. Um, okay. So besides, so we've got the enterprise value gets chopped up in a lot of different things. I mentioned, you know, um, how long the doctor's got to stick around and work. So some kind of work requirement or an employment post-sale. Um, 
what else is in there? Restrictive covenants? Uh, give me some other things that might be in the offer. Yeah, so it'll be the enterprise value, like you just mentioned, um, the employment, um, restrictive covenants will be mentioned in the letter of intent. Um, also, they're going to probably have language in the letter of intent about exclusivity. They're going to want the mm. doctor to make their practice exclusive just to that DSO for mm. a certain period of time. So that means they can't entertain other offers at the yep. same time that they're dealing with that DSO. So that's something that they should definitely um, mm. be on the lookout for. Um, but, you know, I would say that those are the main elements of the, le the, the letter of intent. Got it. Okay, perfect. Yeah, give me the uh, logistics. Is this a PDF document? Are they physically handing this to me? Are they pitching it to me at dinner? Uh, what's the most common scenario that dentists are actually getting the offer? They're typically getting the, the offer by email. Um, okay. Like you mentioned, it's typically a PDF or Word doc that's sent over by the business team from the DSO after yep. perhaps that dinner that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. um, where they get to know each other, they talk about the terms and they put those terms to paper. Cool. Okay. And the uh, the document itself, two pages, five pages, 90 pages, like what's a typical offer look like? Yeah, it really varies. You know, I've seen some DSOs with like one or two page documents, but I would say in general, they're typically, I would say three to five pages. Okay. Yeah. So not to, and, and these look like legal documents, right? Correct. They do. Yeah. Are they legal documents? They are legal documents. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and that, I guess, kind of goes to the whole point of whether or not they're binding or not. Um, to be binding as a legal document, typically, um, you know, the, the LOI is going to say that certain elements of the LOI are binding. And mm -hmm. so everyone sort of thinks of LOIs being non-binding and particularly in the private sale world, they're, they're not typically binding. Um, but in the DSO world, there's going to be elements of that LOI that are binding. And one in particular is going to be that exclusivity provision. Mm -hmm. And another is typically going to be like the confidentiality provision that's in there about keeping mm -hmm. all information confidential. Um, but there also could be some other elements that are binding as well. Usually the economics are not binding just because these these DSOs do a quality of earnings typically after the letter of intent is signed and the economics may vary sometimes in the doctor's favor and sometimes to their detriment but um but but typically the confidentiality and the exclusivity are going to be binding how how are they binding right um, if if i get an offer from a DSO are they making me put up earnest money like am i saying okay here's a check for $5000 and if I go on Facebook and post details of my deal. You get to keep the $5,000. Like how, how, how is it binding? Like what, what, what's their tool to kind of hold over my head? Yeah. I mean, they're not typically putting like a deposit up, but it's binding because, uh, you know, a legal contract is, is binding. Okay. And if, if it's violated, then they would, they could pursue legal action um, and sue. Uh, and you know, so, I've not seen that happen. Yeah. Over a letter of intent, I think mainly because the juice isn't worth the squeeze. There's not enough loss to sue for. Mm -hmm. Also, um, reputationally, I, I don't think that that would be very good for the DSOs to do. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, if a DSO has already invested $100,000 in quality of earnings and, um, you know, champagne, spent, champagne at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And sent staff to the office, you know, done a lot of things and spent a lot of resources. Um, you know, they might consider that if the doctor then sort of like jump ship for another offer that they were entertaining at the same exact time. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. 
I leave it to the lawyer to remind us that if you sign a document, um, that you should honor the agreement. I like that. That's good, right. good David. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call your uh, law school professors and let them know you're, uh, you're still doing well. Right. <laughs> All right. How much time do you typically have to respond to a DSO offer? And do they expect you to negotiate? So typically these DSOs are going to give you a deadline to respond to their offer. Uh, it's not, I've never seen a DSO say, you know what, you were past the deadline, so too bad. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's a psychological thing. I think it takes the next 30 days. Yeah. And, yeah. If they do, yeah. it's because they weren't really interested anyway, probably. I think that they usually do have some leeway with that, but they're just trying to keep things on schedule and keep things on track. So I don't think there's any hard and fast deadline with um, responding to an offer necessarily, even though probably they will tell you that there is. Got it. Perfect. And then who can help me evaluate this? Uh, I'm a dental practice owner, which means I probably have a CPA. I probably have to at least talked to a lawyer at least once in my career. I may not have a lawyer and retainer, but I have, you know, my, my gal is my attorney, right? Um, I may have a financial advisor, an office manager, like who have you seen be the most effective in helping people kind of evaluate this decision? Yeah, I think the people that are most influential in, in evaluating the decision are going to be the CPA because okay. they're going to evaluate the numbers, not just from a standpoint of whether or not it's the, the deal is reasonable, but also how does that deal compare over time to whether if they don't sell it, sell at all? And how does that deal compare to the other deals? Um, also, that CPA is going to be there to evaluate um, how the money is allocated amongst that enterprise value that we just referenced and whether you know the risk profile of that deal is going to be appropriate for the client. So I think the CPA really plays a huge role. And that role is actually going to continue into the deal as well. Um, the, a lawyer is really important as well. Um, really, in these letters of intent, they're, they're really business term heavy. And the business terms are typically going to be evaluated by the CPA and the business team. If, they, if the doctor has a business consultant, you know, that obviously could be very beneficial as well. There are some legal provisions in the document that I that are you know the lawyers should be looking at for sure. You know, one of which we just talked about is that binding exclusivity. You know, if you see as a lawyer an exclusivity clause with it's six months long, you know, and you've got a, a seller that has to sell, that's maybe not the best situation. Um, and so you really want to sort of mitigate that and, and be able to lessen that period to give them more options okay. if that deal doesn't work out. So. I would say the lawyer, the CPAs, a business consultant, if, if they have one, are probably the biggest, um, you know, people totally agree. involved. Here, here's what I've seen is the limitations there. You tell me if you agree is um, I every dentist, once they get that offer, it's going to have an enterprise value. It's going to have, um, you know, multiples of EBITDA. And every dentist is going to ask the question, is this a good deal? Right. And the limitation that I've seen with CPAs in particular is they're passingly familiar. A handful of their clients have received similar offers, uh, maybe in a different format, but they've come across this, you know, maybe twice last year, three times the year before that, once the year, you know, three years prior. And so um, the CPA, uh, it, while passingly familiar, is not equipped with hundreds of data points to be able to answer the question accurately of whether or not the DSO offer is quote unquote good or not, right? right? And what I mean by good is relative to other DSO offers. 
I think the CPA is very well equipped to know their client and to help them understand what their goals are, long-term value, what if you keep, uh, what if you sell, what is your tax bill going to be if you do sell, right? Those are all questions the CPA is very well equipped to handle. But this question that a lot of uh, uh, clients of mine, uh, other dentists I know, you know, they want to know, like, I don't know, like this DSO just offered me six times EBITDA, should I be asking for seven, right? And, and um, I know, I think it would be fair to say, David, would you agree, the lawyers not in, like, they're not equipped to say whether or not it's a quote unquote good deal either, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're very good on, yeah, this clause means this and here's your risk there. But um, that's what I'm kind of wondering is, is there somebody out there that can tell a dentist whether or not they're getting a good deal? Well, I think there are people out there that could help the dentist come to that solution, but the, the, the dentist has to decide for themselves after sort of taking in all the information, whether that's a good deal for them. You yeah. know, I mean, if the doctor has the highest valuation in history for that DSO and they're going to make crazy amounts of money, but they will never be able to relinquish control in their office, then that's not a good deal because they're going to be relinquishing control by doing a DSO deal and just like in yeah. general, right? If the doctor doesn't care about the money and they want to do a DSO deal, but they want to make sure they find the best DSO that's the right fit for their personality, that's going to let them run things how they always did, then that would be a good deal uh, if it's with that particular DSO that's going to help them run things like they always did, but it may not be the highest, best offer. Yeah. But for a doctor yeah. who wants the most amount of money they possibly can get, then that would be the best deal for that doctor. So I think it really is just going to depend on the mm -hmm. doctor and what their desires are. And for all the advisors and teammates to really probe from that doctor, like what they actually want to achieve with this yep. DSO transaction. Good. And then if the answer for the dentist is, I'm not sure this is a good deal for me, they've got two options. They can walk away or they can go ask for more. Say it would be worth it to me to do this deal if. And then that's where the negotiations come in, I assume. Correct? Uh, exactly. Yes. Yep. That's, when, that's yeah. when you would start. Okay. Perfect. And uh, negotiations are acceptable. I would imagine DSOs are... The, the, most dentists aren't just signing on the dotted line right away. There's probably a little bit of back and forth. Yeah, there is some back and forth. And also, I think the important thing that doctors need to hear is that you know, they will often hear from the DSOs that, oh, just sign the LOI. It's, you know, mostly non-binding. We'll, we'll figure that other stuff out later. And so these doctors are signing off on some terms that may not be terms that they would normally agree to just because they're told it's not a big deal. We'll figure it out later. Just sign the LOI. And then later when they ask for those terms in the contracts, they get rejected. And the other law firm is saying, well, that's not what the LOI says. And so <laughs> yeah, I think it's right. important for doctors to know that the LOI is important. It is the document that's going to outline the, the roadmap for the deal from a business term standpoint, and that it's important to get those terms negotiated on the LOI front um, so that you can make sure that you are you know, not going to be screwed later. Agreed. Okay. All right, uh, David, fantastic info on letters of intent or offers, both mean the same thing. Uh, David, thanks for being a part of the DSO decision. Thanks for having me. Look forward to episode number three.